1: Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Inside Carolina, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. It helps us out a ton, and it hardly takes any of time. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned and operated by Carolina fans. So not only do you get great seafood at a great price, you're also supporting one of your own. It's a true win-win for everybody wondering. My go-to order is the Famous Gift Box, where you get two massive crab cakes, two kinds of crab soup, and a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com. And at checkout, use the promo code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. All right, today we have a special guest joining me on the podcast. We've got a producer, a filmmaker, Taylor Sharp, who is a Carolina alum. He's created Hoops Africa, Ubuntu Matters, and Hoop Portraits. Taylor, first off, for anybody who's not watching this, you have an elite background what's what goes into
0: making an elite background well you know we've had a year to practice our background i feel like with zoom so you know i gotta i gotta support a couple friends books i've got the mugsy bogues game worn shoes hornets days you know some of my favorite books if anyone's trying to trying to have a special eye to see what they should be reading but now i've had a year's worth of practice now so I, i finally got it in a good spot
1: I'm in the process of moving, but every time I see you on Zoom or on one of your calls, I'm always like, once I move, that's the setup I'm going to go for. But just wanted to say thanks for joining me. And I wanted you on today because not only do you have an interesting story, interesting backstory, but it's awesome to see somebody go from super fan to alum to this big time producer. Now, you grew up in Western North Carolina. Are you exactly who the motto Tar Heel Born Bread Dead is kind of referring to?
0: Yeah, I am. I haven't hit the dead part yet, but I feel like it'll be the same by then. Yeah, I mean, I grew up just obsessed with Carolina, um, Carolina athletics. I feel like I knew about UNC and knew I wanted to be a Tar Heel long before I even started thinking about university. So it was a pleasant surprise once I got through school uh, and I started to think about college that UNC was such a great option to go to school too. It was such a great public university. So my worlds kind of collided there of like the young fandom obsessed with UNC athletics. Turned into academically oriented and and wanted to go to UNC as a student too. So yeah, Tarheel born, Tarheel bred, definitely fits. And and one day, Tarheel did.
1: <laughs> what are some of your earliest Tarheel memories from your fandom?
0: I mean, I feel like I was the kid at school who everyone was ready to like, you know, talk junk to if they were a Duke fan or a State fan. I mean, growing up in growing up in in North Carolina. I mean, it is as they say, like the ACC tournament comes around and out rolls the the TVs into the room to watch. So it's a big part of my identity. I I grew up playing sports and I grew up loving um, UNC athletics. But really, I feel like my my actual connection to UNC uh, began in 2005 when my oldest brother, I have two older brothers, when my oldest brother came to Carolina, it gave my parents the perfect excuse to get football season tickets. Uh, which was awesome for me, because that meant, you know, six weekends out of the year, we were going down, they wanted to see Josh, I wanted to see Josh, but of course, also see UNC play football. So that's when I really got the, the fast pass to being, and you know, I kind of felt like I had started my Carolina career as a young kid, because from 2005 to 2012, both my older brothers were there. So by the time I rolled around, I, I felt like I already knew everything about campus.
1: I love it because you're not somebody who was just a Carolina basketball fan. You loved Carolina football just as much, maybe even more seeing how your family had those season tickets and counting your college years. You were front row in the tunnel at Keenan stadium for almost 10 years. What are some of the best memories you have in Keenan stadium? And how would you kind of describe to people what it was like just walking into Keenan stadium? It's football in a forest as Lee pace kind of describes it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I grew up living for that. I would just love a weekend when we go to Chapel Hill and I'd be there at the old well walk back in the day when I was like a young kid in middle school. I'd be getting autographs. I uh, would go to the game and then I ditched my family. They had great season tickets and all, but I would go to the tunnel because before then um, the student section wasn't there like what is known as the tar pit now. It uh, didn't happen until a couple years before we got there. So like back then it was kind of empty bleachers sometimes down there, right? Low underneath the field goal post by the tunnel. So me and a friend who would come with me to the games would go there. And it was only, you know, a few years later, once they moved the tar pit. And then I was kind of worried like, oh gosh, these students are going to get my spot. Um, but fortunately, there are some funny, there are some good friends I made who were students who I like sat with all four years because they did the same thing and they would save my spot because occasionally, uh, <laughs> occasionally the students would get let in in their gate a little bit prior to like the general admission gates or whatever. Um, so if that happened, they would save me a spot. And they were actually, that was like, I think it was Kendrick Bernie's sister and, um, and her friend group who was like really good friends with Denora Searcy and Johnny White. So by nature of me, like being friends with them, those guys would always come over and like see us before the tunnel, which was like fun for me as a, as a young fan, but there were so many good games. I mean, I started with the Bunning years. I saw the butch years we had the Everett year, you know, fedora. I've like seen it all the way through now to Mac. Um, But in those early years when I was like really, really into it, um, that we had some great games like that Yukon game when the lights went out and, and they played Kung Fu fighting and we did the wave. I mean, that was a blast uh just some of those like early games too when we started to like bring out the navy jerseys and went under the lights and i don't know I, I i think i got to see like the stepping stones of the program getting back to where it is and that's like all now coming into fruition now
1: and this was before the Twitter and the Instagram days. And as I understand it, you kind of took up photography on the side and you started taking pictures of players and they would love it and post it on their Facebooks and wherever they could post it. So how did that kind of come about and who did you kind of become friendly with through that?
0: Yeah, well, long before I thought about sports photography or or videography and like documentary filmmaking and stuff, I did like having a camera in my hand and I did like capturing moments. So at some point I got a DSLR Um, camera, and I would take it to games with me, so I didn't have a field pass, I didn't have a credential, but front row of the tunnel, you're, like, pretty much right there, you've got a pretty similar vantage, so I started taking photos, and then put them up on a Facebook album, and I had, like, gotten to know all these players, um, and they were friends with me on Facebook, like you said, before IG and Twitter, so yeah, I would, I I was getting, I mean, I wasn't that great, but I I was pretty good, and I would post it, you know, the, the day after the game, so it was always funny to see um, even like in the later years, some of the guys that we became friends with because we overlapped with, like I remember Ebron when he was a freshman before he was getting big playtime, would like come and grab my photos. And then of <laughs> course, you know, we get to campus and we have similar friend groups and, and we become friends. So it's funny to look back on that now. But I think that it was where I was kind of like honing in on my, uh, or starting to at least, like photography at those football games was kind of getting me thinking about documenting sports in particular, but I just did it for fun. Um, and, and it was fun to have an interaction with those guys, I mean, at the time I was such a big fan. So it's, as everyone listening knows, that's that's a fun interaction to have. But then once I got to school, you know, you and me and our friend group just, that was just kind of our world. Those were our peers, our classmates, our friends, our roommates. So then I got to take on like a whole new level of, you know, I probably cared less from like a fan standpoint, but I cared a lot more as a friend, you know? And so that actually like took me to whole new levels of like enjoying the Carolina athletics experience while in school, because it wasn't just like pulling for my team to win. Uh, it was like pulling for my friends and you know you see how much hard work goes into that and you know how much it could you know mean for them if they're trying to go pro and you're looking around at like your friends who go to i had a good group uh, who would go with me to basketball games and football games and sit front row and like you know all these guys that you know it was so much fun like that was a big part of our friend group identity so a win meant we were having fun and we were going out and having a big party that night so it, it was kind of fun to transition from like young kid fan into like a little bit older high school becoming friends with the players and then uh, in college just getting to view it from a totally new lens feeling like very much a part of it going
1: in going back to that young high school age unfortunately your mom passed away back in 2010 from ovarian cancer and I know players reached out to you and did special stuff for you when that happened what can you tell us about that and the relationships that you formed with some of those guys
0: Yeah, that was that was really nice of them. Um, And I think that's something beautiful about like the community that sports can provide. Yeah, I mean, I remember one time it was like maybe a spring game type thing, and this would have been earlier before she passed. But my mom had like the cancer had come back. Um, She had like remission multiple times. So like my middle school through high school years were um you know was the cancer was a big part of it and I remember going one time and like instead of getting autographs I like had a lot of the players and Butch um like sign a card for my mom because she was like back home and sick and at the time Butch had had cancer as well he had just gone through chemotherapy for I can't remember what type of cancer he had so he wrote a really sweet message and a lot of the other guys like Kendrick Burney and Dante Williams like these guys that that class of players um who knew me from being at the turnover game like wondering who this guy is um, they were really sweet. And since we were friends on Facebook, I think they saw what happened and I would have gone to every game. Like that would, that was December of 2010 when she passed. And I think it was like the, yeah, it was the uh, music city bowl in, in Nashville. I usually would have been there, but I wasn't there. Cause, cause my mom was like her last days and Kendrick Bernie was so nice to like reach out say like, you know, I'm going to leave it all in the field for you. And later on, like years later, he actually gave me the Jersey um, like from that game and, oh, and signed wow. it to me and stuff. So that was just a really sweet thing, you know, for them to do. And for me, I think, um, you know, two little things, like being a 11-year-old mom was diagnosed to 16 when she passed. A couple escapes for me were like UNC athletics, going to football games in the weekends, and also fly fishing in the mountains. Those were like my two things that as a kid kind of got me away from it all. Um, so, yeah, the UNC athletics was was a big part of that. Football especially, like, you know, Michael Beal, who's still, um, at UNC. I remember he, he, where he works for the athletics department. And at some point, even though I wasn't in school, they picked me to run out the flag in front of the team. So I was a (laughs) high schooler running out the flag in front of the team in the tunnel. Um, you know, when they started the tar pit, uh, they actually asked me to do that a couple of times in college too. I felt like a veteran then. Um, but yeah,
1: were there any nerves the first time running out with the flag?
0: Oh, First time. Yeah. First time for sure. I, gosh. Well, first of all, I like have braces. I'm in high school.
1: <laughs> I'm like, was it a little heavier than you expected?
0: A little, I mean, the, the one way. thing I just didn't want to do is trip. That's, that's <laughs> the obvious thing, you know, cause I'm out there like, you know, 50 feet in front of the tunnel. You might, I don't know if you ever saw it, even noticed with all the smoke, you're running out of it, but like, you know, you're positioned a little bit in front of them, but then at certain point you kind of start it and you go and you gotta make sure they don't catch up with you. So yeah, first time, a little, little bit of nerves, but crushed it they asked me back to do it a few more times. I was there. So every now and then Mike would be like, you want to do it? Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was funny. By the time that I did it, I think the last time I did it was uh, what year was that? The zero dark 30 game against Miami. That was, like,
1: um, that was years, 20, 2013, 2013.
0: Sophomore so, year. Sophomore year, yeah, They asked me to do it again, but by that time I was tailgating for the game. So it's totally, totally different, totally different type of nerves, but I, but I was confident. Uh, I was experienced then.
1: That was actually, I was going to mention this when you talked about coming out of the tunnel and having that experience for the first time. Uh, When I walked onto the team my sophomore year, that was the first game I was allowed to dress out for. And I remember being in the tunnel the first time and everybody's banging on the top of it. And it's like so loud. And it was a Thursday night game, sold out crowd. And I remember in the tunnel just thinking, like, don't faint. Like, you're very <laughs> close to fainting right now, taking steps going out of the tunnel. Like, do not faint. Don't be the guy who's walking out of the tunnel and just passes out early. But it's crazy to hear that we kind of had experiences
0: from that same game. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm 20 yards in advance, pumped up, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I've been here, done that.
1: <laughs> but it is it is great to hear kind of your story with the former players like Denoris Cersei, and hearing how those guys were more than, kind of just athletes, and you mentioned the um, the fly fishing, and in your mom's memory, you created Casting for Hope, where you put on a fly fishing tournament. How can listeners get involved with that or help out if, they, if they're if they listening to this and they want to help out?
0: Yeah, so Casting for Hope, we've been at it now for 10 years. Um, this past December was the 10th anniversary of my mom's passing, and uh, so we got it that started in high school. Like, the spring after she passed, I I partnered up with my English teacher in high school, actually. And we put on this charity fly fishing event, um, like a competitive tournament that raised money for a cancer clinic in Asheville, um, the Hope Cancer Center. And um, it started there as like a one, one one-off tournament in April, but we got really into the competitive fly fishing circuit. um, And they promoted us to a gold level event. The only one on the East coast modeled after the, the world championships of fly fishing. So all of a sudden now we're like running one of the biggest, competitive fly fishing events in the country and team USA is coming and Team USA youth is there like training and um so that was like that was kind of beyond our dreams of what Casting for Hope was gonna be. It went from a senior project in high school to this full-fledged 501c3 nonprofit and and now we financially and emotionally assist women with ovarian and gynecological cancers. So Uh, I mean, we pay off hospital debt. We put tires on people's cars so they can get to treatment. We'll put them up in hotels if they have like a couple days worth of uh, appointments they need to be there for. We pay prescriptions that, you know, maybe insurance doesn't. Um, But the big thing is that we also take women and their caregivers, whether that's, uh, you know, a partner or a sister or a friend or a son, daughter, whoever they who's been a part of their cancer journey with them. We take them up to the mountains to our retreat center where we give them a weekend away from the clinical setting. They get to meet other people who are going through the same things they're going through. Uh, They do some meditations, some yoga, but we teach them to fly fish too. We get them in the stream. And um, so that's been something we've been doing now for 10 years. And if people do want to support, they can go to castingforhope.org. We just had our big April tournament, our 10th annual April event, which is our biggest event, but we do stuff throughout the year. Um, It's based in Morganton where I'm from, but we operate in all 100 North Carolina counties so also like support us please you know donate if you can but but also if you know if anyone listening knows someone with gynecological cancer who might need financial assistance like have them apply so we can help them out um or even if it's not a financial thing if if they're just a survivor at any point after a diagnosis and they could benefit from uh, a retreat weekend away meeting other people who have gone through the same thing put us in touch too because any, anyone's you know eligible for that, so, you know, and we've had some cool um, North Carolina connections through the years, like UNC connections through Casting for Hope, actually, like my, so I did it that first spring of my senior year and that was around the same time that I had, you know, been accepted to UNC and got the Morad Kane scholarship and someone at the foundation, at the Morad Foundation told me they knew I was interested in becoming, working for Coach Williams basketball camp. I was gonna be doing that right after graduation. And they told me of this alum who lives in Asheville who used to work for coach Smith. He was a manager and he's actually roommates with MJ. His name's David Hart. And um, he lived with, with MJ for a year. And, um, and they said, he's into fly fishing. You know, you should get in touch with him. So before I went to coach Williams camp, I was like trying to get in touch with them and I didn't hear back from him. But then all of a sudden I'm at the registration table at our event. And I look down and I see David Hart and I look up and it's the same guy. And David and I have forged this amazing bond, kind of, kind of funny. You know, we both had this UNC basketball connection, both lived with players, both from Western North Carolina and both into fly fishing. So David, um, you know, we, we swap stories. It's kind of funny. Every April tournament Casting for Hope puts on, it's usually right after the season. So it's like David and I come in there ready for the event and we just like talk talk UNC hoops. We like got the call out. We like know we're gonna have our we know we're gonna have our little debrief session that second weekend of April every year. Um, but that's been that's been a cool UNC connection that's really prevalent throughout the casting for hope, you know, April event.
1: Definitely recommend everybody checking that out. What was it like then working Coach Williams camp? Do you have any any stories kind of from that experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I like graduated um and then the very next day, like my friends were packing up the cars with, you know, beach chairs and beer and whatever, going to beach week. And I was going to Coach Williams basketball camp. I was going to Chapel Hill to work. And the way you do it is, um, you know, I was working dorm staff. So I was there, like there with the campers, looking after them, keeping them on schedule. We were in the, gym, you know, really just corralling kids. But what was so much fun about it was that we lived in Granville. Everyone, like all the campers and, and the counselors and managers and stuff were there. And um, I mean, Carolina basketball family, as we all know, is, is, is so tight, but like managers of years past now, like adults come back and do this camp. Like it's not just the varsity managers, the JV managers. Um, so there's this big group of people who are working the camp who are all affiliated with UNC basketball in some way, usually. And um, when all the campers were asleep at like midnight, we'd go out to that court at Granville and play, pick up basketball for hours and jump in the pool and go to timeout and get biscuits and stuff. So. That, that was really fun for me is that's when I became really good friends with a lot of the managers who I'd, who I'd become friends with or be friends with my whole four years and, and after, and so many of us are working in basketball in different capacities now. So those were some good memories. Um, and then also just walk, watching the pickup games. I mean, um, you know, they're just some great, great games in there where you've got like, David Noel and, and John Williams and all these, you know, older guys back playing with like PJ Harrison at the time and James Michael McAdoo and this crew. So there's some great, great pickup games, all those Dean Dome summer games you I'd heard about my whole life. That was my first time seeing those. And, and that was my first time getting to know a lot of the managers and staff and players.
1: During college, you come to UNC as a Moorhead Kane scholar then while you're there, it just keeps picking up. You become roommates with Marcus Page and Bryce Johnson. How did you first meet those two your freshman year? And then how did you get so close to the point where you're living together? Because that experience has to be extremely different than the typical UNC student.
0: Well, that's a funny story. Yeah, so I didn't meet them actually at camp. They reported for like summer session two. I think. And I was just there for session one. I, so I met some of their teammates and managers and, and you know staff and stuff, but I didn't know them quite yet. Um, I think it was actually convic- like that first night convocation or something, or that like first night when we all go to, um when we all go to Carmichael there and do that little like I don't know kick off the, the Ori- program, yeah like I know what day. you're
1: talking about the freshman yeah. day yeah
0: yeah I, I think it was actually Thomas you know Tom I think like they put out like a what's going on tonight type of Twitter <laughs> and Thomas responded and we actually met up though and, and had a really fun night and and then at that point you know we had mutual friends already through the basketball program and through staff and um Bryce had also lost his mom in high school so like he and I bonded pretty quickly um over that and Marcus and I were just like pretty similar people um and then i lived in uh horton which was like right by Ramshead, where they lived so they're a rams village so they were like just down the street from me the closest dorm or apartment to mine was was there so like we realized we were kind of neighbors and then marks and i walk into spanish class then like our first very first college class and we had the same class together so of course we're sitting together Um, so they just like very naturally became friends with me just like anyone else just like just like you or any of our other crew of friends, you know, you just you just start to hang out, and they would come over and play video games and go to Rams Dining Hall for late night. And I think I give credit to Marcus and Bryce, and Joelle and JP too. Like our class uh, had a lot of friends outside of the basketball program, and they kind of lived this dual life of like basketball star and just normal college kid, you know, especially Marcus. So they just became a part of our friend group and would come over to watch a big NBA game or to play Two K or whatever. So after those first two years, when they were allowed to move off campus and I was like moving out of the dorms, yeah, we just decided we wanted to live together so that it it, like felt very normal for me Um, the whole time. They're just like any other of my friends, but definitely provided a unique experience, you know, like the childhood me The childhood version of me was probably pretty pumped up about it, but the college (laughs) version of me was like, this just feels normal.
1: Yeah, going back to like that freshman year and kind of seeing the dynamic between the basketball players and just the campus, like we would be in the dining hall and like I would be going up to get like pizza or something and I would come back to Marcus at the table and there would just be like a line of like 10 people waiting (laughs) to try to take a picture. I'm like, I don't know how you guys do it. So obviously you were there and saw everything kind of going on. I have to ask... Who was the messier roommate? Oh gosh, you got to put somebody on blast here,
0: Marcus. Marcus was wow. I'm putting, Mar- I'm putting Marcus on that. I think yeah, I think he would. I think he would agree with that. I, but they were both good roommates, honestly. Uh They, they were great roommates. I, I got, I got, I don't have too much beef with them about living conditions.
1: For some reason, I just remember Bryce's room just being like boxes and boxes of jordan's just saying.
0: bryce had a lot of <laughs> shoes bryce had more <laughs> shoes um so maybe he had a little bit more of a cluttered life but but bryce has a little bit of organization to him marcus and see marcus speaking of shoes marcus and i like wore similar enough sizes to where like you know we might we might have been st- stealing shoes from one another every now and then like i still remember a time when i let him borrow a pair of shoes you know or, or i couldn't find a pair of shoes this was at like the end of junior year i couldn't find there's like a nice pair of cole hans i liked them and, couldn't find those shoes like what what did i do with those shoes and then we didn't live together senior year just junior year. so that's like junior spring i lost the shoes i go off to like work at the nba that summer in new york i i was going to bring those shoes but don't have the shoes and then like there's this random fall day where like marcus and i just happened to pass each other on campus and he's sitting there, he's wearing my shoes so that's that's the beef i have with marcus maybe it's like he probably still has those kohans but i'm sure i have a couple pair of his Jordans. so it all worked out in the end
1: What would you say the coolest experience you had through that friendship was?
0: Mm. I mean, I'll I'll give two answers. On one hand, it's just like, those are just some of my best relationships I got from college. You know, we, we all come into Chapel Hill, not knowing many people or not knowing anybody and um, you make friends along the way. And some of those last four years, some don't like some, you just talk to, you don't talk too much after college, but those guys are like, you know, I lived with them. They became two of my best buds and, a part of a really good larger friend group and you know I was like Marcus's wedding was the first time I was a groomsman for instance you know like that that that's really special for me and um, been able to visit Marcus a couple times in Serbia and um, when Bryce was in LA with the Clippers I was spending a lot of time in LA like I'd go out and do meetings for my film stuff I was trying to get going and I'd stay with Bryce and watch him play so I think it's just been fun to like watch a relationship go from like 18 years old just got to college but like can still maintain it for eight years as you like evolve and grow and stuff so that's just been really special just like I'd say about any of my friends but but then specifically for them uniquely was that it was really fun getting to go to all those basketball games and to like support them and I went to um I went to every NCAA tournament game during my four years so Uh, that was like maybe one of our more unique memories because I felt like yeah I wanted to go because I liked UNC basketball but really I wanted to go because like my guys were playing in the in in March Madness and I was going to be there so like once once it was kind of understood that if they left me a ticket I'd travel there whether it was let's see we went to Kansas City um Jacksonville LA we went to um Houston, of course, we went to. They had one game in Raleigh. So I mean, we traveled all over the place um, to go see them. But that was really fun because there weren't as many students at the at the March Madness games that were traveling. Like I was sometimes missing class to like travel to Kansas City to go to a tourney game. So when I was there, it was like me and a close group of friends, and it was like their families. So that was really special to kind of feel like I was just like there with the pages, or like there with big, you know, big Herm Bryce's dad, and like that's where we really, the games really mattered. And um, so th- those were some of my most special memories are the March madness travel, travel weekends.
1: I thought you were going to go with the, uh, the late night pickup games in the Dean oh. Dome. That's a cool one.
0: All right. That's pretty good too. Yeah, <laughs> I, r- that, yeah, I, I remember
1: that. from yeah. our friend group, we would get texts like, Hey, do you guys want to play pickup tonight in the Dean dome? And I'd be like, where's my yeah. shoes racing over there. And then Forget it was
0: this paper. I was going to write, I would love to go play <laughs> basketball at the Dean dome tonight. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, and it was always it was always uh, me and me or you were just like the most athletic from that group that wasn't Marcus. So whoever wasn't on uh, Marcus's team had the had the the responsibility to guard Marcus. And even if he was going like fifty percent, like a fifty percent Marcus is still significantly better than anything we were putting out on.
0: Better world. than it's better than two Taylor's <laughs> put together probably. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. But actually, I do remember some times when I did get to play with Mark. I'll give him some, some shine here. It, both in the Dean Dome, like I specifically remember throwing him an alley oop where he dunked it over Thomas. This was right. in this was in the practice gym. That was a lot of fun. But the but also when we were going to um, we go into Rams. Sometimes we'd just go over to Rams and play with other students. So like it wasn't our friend group in the Dean Dome, but it was just random students, and that was really fun uh like because everyone was trying to give marcus their best and usually marcus wasn't even trying but every now and then he'd turn it on and i still remember uh i can't remember his name but there was this like six eight guy i think he might have played club or jv really tall guy he's in there like on the other team someone might have been me to be honest someone on our team shoots a three like hits off the back of the rim pops right back up you know And then all of a sudden Marcus just comes flying from the three-point line down the middle and like almost clears that like really tall guy and almost had this put-back dunk rose where everyone was just like, (laughs) they didn't know Marcus had ups like that. So yeah, there were these flashes of like, okay, these guys are pretty normal to us, but they are much better athletes
1: than we are. If people are watching this and saying that they think you have a familiar face, it's because during Marcus and Bryce's playing days, you were on TV – almost as much as them because of how often you were front row of Carolina student section in the risers. If you were coming up with a Neds Declassified type guide on how to get front row in okay. the Dean dome for the current Carolina students, what are some tips you would give out?
0: All right. Multiple paths of getting there, but, uh, I had, we had some good friends who were like part of Carolina Fever. So they went to all of the games to get their points that got them guaranteed phase one tickets and some of them were in like the leadership of Carolina Fever. So they would have like also extras to give out. So I was fortunate to have a lot of friends who were affiliated with Carolina Fever who liked going to games with me and, and sometimes would help me get a ticket there. Um, also just like sheer like willingness to wait out in that line. I mean, thank goodness I had friends who like, like this was like a part of our hanging out. Because some of those games, we'd go down so many hours in advance of a game to be waiting there near the front to be able to rush in and get front row. Like I remember one year. uh, (laughs) So dedication is what I'm saying. One year, like in our first year, I think it was the NC State game. It was like a noon game the next day. So like the line was going to start early for a noon game of who was going to get front row. So my friends and I are at Horton. I mean, we can see the Dean Dome from my bedroom window, from my dorm window. And uh, we just decided, like, at midnight, we were, like, decided whether or not we were going to go and hang out with some friends. And we were, like, why don't we just go down and just just go down right now and just be make sure we're front of the line. So we literally slept outside on the pavement outside of the Dean Dome in order to get front row. So those are some extreme stories, maybe. But you gotta have good friends and some dedication.
1: You had the crown. Of super fan during your undergrad years, I would say. But would you agree that in recent years,
0: AfroKid has passed you? Yeah,
1: yeah, AfroKid has passed you. Josh Mayo.
0: Josh Mayo, he get he gets it. Uh he took his I might have started my time with UNC football when I was like 10. So like my I went for a while there being front row by the tunnel. But Josh, uh Josh Mayo, I think is his name. Yeah. He uh, yeah, he's been doing grad school, I feel like forever. He's like the he's like the Ellis of UNC. Front row riser crew, yeah, I give him big props. I think, yeah, he he's getting another degree just so he can continue to ride out this free forever. The, the
1: fact that he has the afro too is it's a huge uh, distinction because it's oh, yeah. just so easy to point him out whenever you see him. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh my god, he's still here. He was there when we were there. but Perfect like
0: cameras. I like you know like I feel like he's getting a getting a doctorate degree. Yeah, I feel like he was our our like friend group's protege there. <laughs> And then now he's in the Hall of Fame. He, yeah. He's a first bout. He's a
1: first ball. Hall he's been
0: of Fame. in good hands for a while.
1: After your freshman year at Carolina, you went to Zimbabwe that summer to volunteer mm-hmm. with Hoops for Hope, a basketball nonprofit for kids in disadvantaged communities. What was that experience like?
0: Mm, the best. The best. I mean, yeah, I was really fortunate that all four summers, um, like the summer before at coaches camp, and then all the three summers after I was able to have these awesome basketball experiences. And yeah, after that first year, um, I went to Zimbabwe. I lived there for just over two months with this organization called Hoops for Hope. They use basketball as a vehicle to teach life skills, like gender, um, like gender equality and conflict resolution and HIV AIDS awareness. And um, responsibility, integrity, Ubuntu. They talk a lot about Ubuntu, this this, um, this African philosophy, I am because you are. Um, it's all about the group rather than the individual. And they teach all of those principles and they're there for the kids. Like those courts in those communities where soccer is usually most popular, one of the communities where Hoops for Hope operates all the kids are on the basketball court and like the coaches there are there for them right after they get out of school until after sundown. So my time there was just um, amazing. Spent coaching kids and helping out the nonprofit as I can and developing all these relationships with coaches and their families who live in the same communities. So I just like developed this whole second home and um, second family in Zimbabwe and felt like I learned a lot more from them and like received a lot more from them than i could have given like in my summer volunteering as a 19 year old so it was really important for me to figure out a way to like go back and do more and like rebuild a court or to spread the word about them um so yeah that first summer was transformational in a lot of ways of me thinking about how sports could be used for social impact um, and as a vehicle for social change and and they were the driving factor of of really that like drove me into filmmaking too
1: yeah going to Africa, it obviously inspired your first documentary, Hoops Africa, Ubuntu Matters. What can you tell people about that documentary and why they should check it out?
0: Yeah, so I mean a follow up from my last answer is that I had this host little brother named Watita. I had, like I lived with a the family there and um, so I lived with them the whole summer. First time I had had little brothers. I was usually the you know the youngest of three and then I had three younger siblings that summer. but the oldest Watita, he had, he was a great basketball player, a great student. Um, he loved UNC probably, probably mostly because I brought them all UNC stuff, <laughs> but, um, but he had dreams of making it to the U S for like high school or college. If he could get a scholarship to come for school and, and also to play basketball. And he was a good enough player and a good enough student. I thought to do that, but he just didn't have the opportunity. didn't have the exposure. So my first goal was like, how do I get what Tita noticed? How do I make sure that he has everything in line? to where he can like academically be eligible to come. And how can I make sure that coaches at prep schools and boarding schools and and then colleges, like know about him and think about maybe recruiting him. So that was like my first, uh, you know, maybe the first inspiration behind the film. And then the second was like this organization, I gained so much from my time volunteering with this organization. So how can I actually try to do something to impact them? How can I help raise awareness, raise funds, connect them with the right people in the basketball world that I'm starting to get to know through through unc and through working at an agency and working at the nba like how can i connect all these dots um but you can't get all that many eyes on a nonprofit promo or on like a recruiting video so i had this idea of like what if i weaved all these stories together um the nba in 2015 the summer i was working there held the first ever africa game the first time a u.s professional sports league held a game on african soil and while they were there like some of the top nba players came to play in the game but they also were doing a clinic for like the top prospects, young prospects across the continent of Africa. And my little bro, Watita, was selected for that. And the nonprofit Hoops for Hope was selected to come there and teach life skills um, to do some for like local kids there in South Africa. So all of a sudden I was like, I had all these storylines coalesce and I realized they, they need to be captured. Like this needs to be a documentary, not just a nonprofit video, not just a recruiting video. I need to like tell a, a really holistic story of the MBAs, Growth and basketball's growth on the continent, and weave together these NBA storylines with hoops for hope, kind of, kind of cementing Watita and hoops for hope into like NBA lore, um, all through this context of Ubuntu. So, yeah, I mean, people should watch it just to learn more about hoops for hope, learn about Watita's like really inspiring story. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look at the first ever Africa game. We have a lot of legends in there. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon narrates. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Paul, Luol Deng serge abaca adam silver paul pierce doc rivers these are all guys who are in the film um so there's a lot of star power in it and it's a a, an uplifting story that's about a lot more than basketball
1: yeah i'm glad you mentioned the basketball legends because i was going to mention some of those guys did you have anyone in particular or any one moment stand out where you were sitting across from somebody being like i can't believe this is happening (laughs) right now
0: i mean a lot of that i mean um I'll tell a few stories there. It's like one is I really wanted Hakeem Olajuwon was the first NBA player to come from Africa. So I really wanted him in the film. We were honoring the legends who paved the way for all this growth. Um, but he lives in London and he's been out of the game for a while. And But I tracked down, just knocking on doors, man. I was calling the Rockets, trying to figure out if they had contact for him, if they would still do press inquiries. Finally, I got through to someone who said, well, you can talk to his old manager or assistant but you know she I don't know if she still works for him it's been a long time since he played but talk talk to this older woman Pamela and she like doesn't really do stuff for him anymore but of course keeps in touch and um it just took like a, literally a year of like checking in with her and trying to figure it out to where all of a sudden one day she was like hey Hakeem agreed to narrate the film um and I was like okay awesome <laughs> like is he, is he coming to Houston like when are we talking and she's like yeah he's free tomorrow he's in London and I just had to figure out how to make this happen, like how to hire someone locally there in London to, to record the audio. And I was on a Skype kind of like talking to them. And so that was like a big one where I was like, dang, Hakeem Olajuwon's narrating the film. Um, Adam Silver too. Like I had met Adam Silver a time or two um, working at the NBA. And when I was doing this film, I like wanted to let him know about it. I wanted to ask if he'd be willing to be in it. So I just, you know, shot my shot there and uh, emailed him and like immediately he emailed back saying like, i sounds like a great project I'd love to be a part of it so then like going back to interview him and after having worked there and he's the big boss it was pretty cool to like realize like oh he like knows about me and the project and is willing to support be a part of it um so that, that one was a really cool one um and then the other one I'll give some a North Carolina shout out to Chris Paul um so Chris Paul was on like in the Africa game it was team world versus team Africa like all African players versus like an all-star team of players from across the world So Chris CP3 was the um, captain of team world. And right after the game, we had like on court media availability. And we were gonna try to sneak in a couple interviews for the film like during that time. So we like rushed with everyone else, all the other media like ESPN and all, you know, big time news organizations are there. And um, we're trying to talk to Chris. And he's like got all these people in front of him like waiting to talk. Like probably all of them were gonna interview him at once but he noticed me and we had met a time or two before in North Carolina and different occasions. And he noticed me kind of like all by myself, like behind him, like I didn't get there in time. And he was like, hold on one second. And he turned around and did our interview first, wow. like right after the Africa game on court, like kind of like gave a little wink and then went back to the, you know, to the big leagues. Um, so for us, it was just me and one other person with a camera. I was still in college that was before my senior year. And this is my first time making a film. So like stuff like that along the way, really, you know, um, on one hand I was like, I can't believe that just happened. But on the other hand, those things started happening enough to where I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing. that I don't need to doubt myself and I should keep going with it.
1: What would you say the hardest part was about making a documentary?
0: Mm. Um, well, I mean, one thing you got to figure out is how to fund it. That's like not my real answer, but, um, but like, you got to figure out how to fund it. I was you know, I didn't have any financial backing. I'd never done it before. I didn't really have, I had done some videos in college and in high school and stuff, but I didn't have like a body of work to show. Um, so I like give a lot of credit to the UNC community because the week before graduation, I held a like very rough cut, like a screening at the Varsity Theater on Franklin Street with like a very early version of like the footage we had like started to edit. We were not anywhere near done. And we did a crowdfunding campaign and raised... Like close to $15,000 to like, right when I was graduating, I was deciding not to take the full-time job at the MBA. I was like, not seeking a full-time job. I was like betting on myself and just trying to do this independent film thing. And we didn't really have any money for it. So that was huge. Um, yeah, but that was like, it continued to be a difficult thing. It's just like believing in the project enough to be kind of going out on a limb and doing it. Um, but then the other thing I, th- I think is just like, you know, there's a lot of responsibility as a, as a storyteller, as a you know, documentarian in that sense of like telling someone else's story. Um, especially like me, like this is an African basketball story. I'm a you know, I'm a I'm a white kid from small town North Carolina. Uh, but I want to like best I want to best tell the stories of everyone in the film and want to do it justice because I've like been there in Zimbabwe and know how great Hoops for Hope is. And I love Watita, my little bro, and he's such a great kid. And um, all of these other legends who paved the way and all the work that the NBA is doing, like. you know, deserves its highlight. So I think for me, I was just constantly wanting to make sure I was telling the story properly and doing it justice. Um, So on the other side of it now, I feel like I did that to the best of my ability and that feels really good because in the meantime, I'm sure you can, this resonates with you too. Like in the meantime, you just want to make sure you get the story right.
1: Yeah. I was going to say when you are putting out a video, how many times are you watching it before you actually put it out because you're putting out full length documentaries, docu series. I'm putting out like two minute videos and I'm watching them like 50 times. And yeah. there's more, it's like, once I finish it, it's more like anxiety. Like, is it good? And then once I finish it, I'm like, okay, that's it. I can't All watch right. anymore. And it's just yeah. like a relief that it's done. Um, but, but what's that like pre, release process like where you're just constantly watching it and looking for any any way you could make it possibly
0: better yeah i mean the post-production process the editing process can be pretty long and grueling and sometimes super meticulous or sometimes you have a big idea and it's kind of abstract and it's a lot to to keep in your head of like how do you rearrange these puzzle pieces and, and still make it work so by the yeah when you're done with it or when you're nearing completion you've seen it so many times like you know exactly I mean every little thing I can I've almost memorized the interviews of like (laughs) Brian Scalabrini and Paul Pierce and Serge Ibaka and 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 Luol Dang, like all these guys I can like I can hear their voices in my head even when it even when you click pause so um but fortunately so there is some of that like where it's like I need a little bit of separation from this I've been in it so deep but fortunately for me like we really did a, we really had an intentional effort of having a lot of like, rather than scoring it like with an original composition in the background, we did a lot of music that we licensed from um, a lot of artists, mostly like across from Africa. So like, if you're listening to, you know if you're listening to a player from Nigeria talk there might've been a Nigerian artist in the background. Or if you're like looking at Hoops for Hope courts in Zimbabwe, there might be a South African artist. If you're like seeing the NBA play the game in South Africa there's a South African artist. So I like the music in our film. That always keeps me into it. Like, always, I'm always like, even in this, I've done a hundred screenings of it, you know? And I'm always like, kind of like bumping my head and, 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 and dancing to the music. And some of the interviews, like if it's Watida or the Hoops for Hope people, I mean, those are people I really care about. So I just like seeing them on screen. And, and, when, and when it's the players, like Brian Scalabrini and Paul Pierce, there's this whole Celtics storyline of the Celtics being taught the philosophy of Ubuntu by the nonprofit. And they made it their mantra for the 08 season when they won the championship like it was like they broke down every huddle with ubuntu they put ubuntu on their championship ring when they won so anyways we interviewed a lot of the celtics folks and um brian Scalabrini is such a character and paul pierce is really funny too so um whenever i watch their interview and like the way that we edited it them going back and forth telling this funny story i'm like always laughing and enjoying like the audience laughing and stuff so Yeah, fortunately, fortunately I like the film enough to where I can still watch it, but some separation is needed at times.
1: You followed Hoops Africa with Hoop Portraits and the pilot episode, Two Ways to the League is about two players with North Carolina Ties and Tyshawn Alexander from Charlotte and Josh Hall from Durham. That was done in partnership with the NBA and the NBA G League. People could check it out on YouTube. How did that idea kind of come to fruition?
0: So that was a documentary project that we got going. Here in the past year actually during the pandemic so like if we look back a year ago things were looking really bad and all of the projects i had i mean so much of my work is international or i'm flying all over the place so everything was kind of shut down a lot of our plans were derailed um but so i was looking for some close to home stories i was doing a lot of remote production work, so I, I was able to stay busy but from a documentary standpoint i was trying to find some close to home stories that were in our backyard that would only be a couple people we'd be working with that I could have a crew of only me and one or two others to, you know, maybe be able to safely do it. Um, And that's when I found out that Josh Hall, um, who's from Durham, he was committed to NC State, but actually decommitted, decided to go straight prep to pro. He and Tyshawn Alexander, a three-year player from Creighton, were training together, living under the same roof, and preparing for the NBA draft. So I thought there was a story there and kind of showing the different paths that they were taking to get to the same place hopefully they were also like fringe on the fringe of getting drafted so it was like not guaranteed whether or not they'd hear their name called on draft night but here they are for months and months and months like working towards that one goal the goal that so many players have their entire lives is to get drafted so I thought there'd be some inherent inherent tension that would just remain throughout until the last day draft night um Yeah. So that's how that, that one came to be. We followed them uh, September through November, I guess. Um, And both of them ultimately went, well, I won't spoil it too much, but both of them are in the NBA now, uh, had had good rookie years and, um, and and they were awesome to work with. And and a fun thing too, was that their trainer um, was, and one of their AAU coaches back in the day was Jeff McGinnis, former UNC point guard legend, played played in the NBA for a long time, played with LeBron, played with some legends. Um, So Jeff, who's coaching in the Charlotte area, he uh, was their trainer. So he was like a pretty big part of the film too. So every every time on a shoot day, you know, he and I were comparing shoes and, you know, rocking UNC gear and stuff. So it was fun to get to know. It was fun to get to know Jeff too. He played a big role in their development.
1: As someone who loves college basketball and loves Carolina, what are you starting to think of, the G league becoming a more and more viable option where you have guys like Jalen green and uh, Jonathan Kumanja coming out of this draft, looking like easily top 10 picks and it becoming a more and more realistic possibility.
0: I mean, I think it's, um, I kind of exist in a lot of different realms there. It's like UNC basketball through and through, I've seen the beauty of college basketball. I've lived that pretty up close and personal um, I've worked for the G League I, I worked for them a summer when they were the D League the developmental league before they rebranded to G League and since they've become the G League they've hired me back as a project employee multiple occasions so I've seen that side of it I have friends who play overseas you know um, who play in Europe or, or play elsewhere so I've kind of seen like a little bit of everything in terms of like what a professional or what a basketball career can look like and I think that um, you know I think that college basketball is such a I'm such a you know, lover of college basketball that that I will always have a lot of pride in UNC basketball and I'll always love March Madness. Like that's one thing that no one else has is March Madness. And and for a lot of people going in and being the big man on campus and playing for a storied program and playing in March Madness and getting a degree is really important. So I think it's, I think it'll, you know, always remain in that way. But I think it's also a good thing that young people who are some of the very best in the world at what they do have an opportunity to be paid for it. Uh, off the off the get-go or maybe to just be full 24-7 focused on being a pro so for those super top guys if, if they can go straight to the G League um, or, or a different pathway that allows them to be compensated fairly and focused full-time on on their craft then I respect that too you know that's something that I could have done as a as an entrepreneur as a filmmaker as an artist or whatever you know if if something existed there for me to to make a good living and to focus on my craft, it would be there for me. So I don't know. We're seeing changes to NIL. We're seeing changes to everything. So I I think they'll work themselves out there, but I think my, my summarized version is I love college basketball. I think there'll always be a place for it. Um, But I'm glad that there are other opportunities for like these top young players.
1: I don't want to keep you too much longer. So we're going to do rapid fire here with all time favorites, your all time favorite class at Carolina.
0: Um, I really loved History of Sport in America by Dr. Matt Andrews, but also uh, our first year seminar with Distro Sport Sports Entrepreneurship.
1: Legendary, legendary Distro, all time favorite bar in Chapel Hill.
0: Got to give it to. Got to. He's not. Got to give it to. He's not here. My production <laughs> company's Blue Cup Production. So how could I not say he's not? I got a blue cup in my hand.
1: Classic, all time favorite restaurant.
0: Oh gosh, Cosmic. Wow! The amount of and out of, and out of burritos I've had at Cosmic. Wow! After, after, that was a out shocking pick. Amount of burritos I've had after Blue Cups. I I gotta give my love to Cosmic.
1: That was a shocking pick. A lot of good
0: picks there. A lot of good picks to. A lot of good things to choose from. But I'm going Cosmic Cantina.
1: All-time favorite moment when it comes to Carolina athletics.
0: Uh, tough. I think, man. I think that Duke game um our sophomore year when we won um and after the big delay from the snow game and we had anthony there we did the anthony's day that special experience for that kid and he was in the building i think that was awesome yeah sophomore year went over duke was was about as fun of experience as we had
1: all-time favorite football player at
0: carolina shoo uh Julius Peppers, I just grew up loving him so much and watching him on the Panthers, and he grew up nearby where my dad's from, so I'll go with J-Pep with an honorable mention for for our guy, Matt Collins.
1: I gave you a lamp to just mention me, and you didn't take it, so. <laughs>
0: third, third place, third place Steve, I, we once had a fat head of you on the wall, so.
1: Uh, we had some, we had some pickup games in Keenan stadium that I can remember uh, all time favorite basketball player. You can't say Marcus or Bryce. I'll, I'll put that. Cause I feel like those are one, one, a one B dang.
0: Well, the, those are, those are usually my answers. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be loyal to my friend here and, and, and save Joel James from the same class, <laughs> class, class of 2016 forever.
1: <laughs> all right taylor thank you so much for you coming on everybody could follow him at t sharp 94 on twitter be sure to check out all his films he's doing great work and he's always doing it representing unc taylor appreciate you coming on
0: anytime Beth. talk soon
1: thanks for listening to another podcast from inside carolina.com brought to you by johnny t-shirt.com where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase